You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Don't need music to say it. He's worthy to be praised, right? Always. I love that part in the liturgy. It says, always and everywhere. It is, he's worthy to be praised. Always and everywhere. Like We cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. What makes us alive is not the words that we say. It's not the sermons that we preach. It's the fact that we live celebratory lives. And what makes us dead is if we can't celebrate. If we don't celebrate, if we don't have a celebratory disposition, people will be useful or not useful to us. That's how we'll see the world, as something we can use or something we can't use. When you have a celebratory disposition, when, when thankfulness, that's what the word Eucharist means. It means the great thanksgiving. Every Sunday we come to the great thanksgiving. When, when, when the great thanksgiving is in our life, we will transcend people's usefulness or lack thereof. Imagine what people do to you not mattering as much because your happiness is rooted in something that's much higher and much lower than the way that they're acting. Imagine how free that would be. That starts here. That starts in this room. Guests, if this is your first time here, something happened to me today. I left the men's room. Where's Doreen? Doreen... I hate to do this. You stand up for a second, please. Just for a second. 1,001. Everybody see Doreen. Doreen is not what we would call intimidating. Frankie, stand up for a second. Just for a quick second. You don't want to turn the corner. Thank you. I come out of the men's room and turn the corner, and all I see is the top of Doreen's head right here. And I was like, ah! And then I snorted. I was like, (laughs) When something surprises you so much, it clears the senses. You stop thinking about whatever it was that you were thinking about before something surprised you. If this is your first time here, I hope that worship service surprised you because it was a Doreen. It wasn't a Frank. (laughs) It might have been scary for a second, but it's safe and nice, I promise. That's why preaching is fun. That's why, okay. Enough about Doreen. All she ever does is talk about herself. Enough about Doreen. What I want to talk about today is what suffocates our celebration. This is what I want to talk about. Before I do, I truly believe that the body of Christ, who I'm looking at right now, is a sacramental reality, meaning we really are the body of Christ in in a scandalous almost God, where is your good judgment kind of way. Like, he looks at this and says, this is the body of my son. And there's moments where I'm like, I know me, and I'm just like one four hundredth of it. Like, I don't know if you're really wise in saying that what I've done this week is the body of your son. But how amazing is it? And what, 
what power, like you've heard people say, don't think too much of yourself. We've heard this said. But Samuel said to Saul, you haven't thought enough of yourself. You've been king over Israel, and you haven't taken it seriously. So there's a way in which we could think too much of ourselves, but there's also a way in which we have to know the grace that we carry around. We represent Jesus wherever we go. It's an honor and a privilege and scary as hell at the same time. But for every moment that that feels intimidating, there's grace upon grace to live it out. Always grace. There's always grace. And so we are the body of Christ. And so what happens is when you speak to me, I have to ask myself, Lord, somebody from this church just spoke to me. I want to know that your body, Jesus, just spoke to me. This is not just a one-way street. When you speak to me, I'm receiving it and listening to it as if there's a really good chance that could be Jesus speaking to me because I'm listening to the body of Christ. And at the door, two people had a, a very positive concern about last week's message. Last week, I said this. I said, love bruises. That's why we have purple for Lent, to represent the bruising of Jesus. And two different people said, you know, I, I, I know exactly what you meant when you said it, but I'm concerned because I know some people who are getting beat up in their relationship. And the abuser in the relationship may actually think love bruises is licensed to continue to do what they're doing. Or the person getting abused might think, this is how I love. So I wanted to show a chart that will explain something really important. Ian, you could put the first slide up. When we preach on a Sunday, and, and we're going we're to talk about celebrating in a minute, but I feel like this is really important for us, for me to explain to you very quickly, and then for you to have it in your mind, because you will speak to more people about Salem than I will. This is me speaking about Salem, but all of you collectively will talk more about Jesus and more about the sermon to other people that are not in the church than I will, because I come here all week now. And so there's the part of my life that was once out there talking about the church, but now it's in here learning to speak to you so that you could speak well of the church and Jesus to others. And so this is important for you to know, not just to say, aha, yes, here, but to talk to people about what happens when there's a sermon. What happens when the pastor has to broach certain subjects that are really deep, like all you can do is just open the can, but you can't unpack it, or you can say, this is a suitcase, and there's stuff in it, but you can't unpack it. The, the, the difficulty of preaching is that you have to be general enough to speak to, you know, 180 people, 200 people as if they were one person. So what we do when we preach is we preach to the normative realities of life. If, if that line represents, and we've all seen this in high school when we were barely paying attention and, you know, just trying to get by because this is exciting. There's a line, and that line is normal, and, and the dots that are anywhere near to that line, that's what the Sunday morning sermon addresses. It addresses the normative realities of life. So when we say something like love bruises, or we say something like you should be having broken people into your homes, we shouldn't be the kind of church that, doesn't invite, that only invites people who are like us into our homes. I'm speaking, every preacher should be speaking in a normative way, like all things being equal, the Bible tells us that love is going to get your ego bruised. Love is going to make you have to turn the other cheek. 
they have to be taken in normative general ways. However, there are also dots called outliers. These are not for Sunday, but Sunday should get you thinking about them. Sunday should get you to say, I know what he meant generally, but this situation that's a little abnormal, I wonder how it applies. This is where the structure of the body of Christ is important. Sunday is enough to get you going and keep you sustained, but Sunday is not enough for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sunday is enough to remind you that you're saved. Sunday is enough to remind you that God is for you and not against you. Sunday is enough to remind you that you are called to be lights in the darkness, not unlit candles in the darkness. But then the church, your friends, your family, your deacons, your elders, your pastor, your pastor's wife, we are all here to help you work out the outlying issues that Sunday brought up, but the message didn't specifically cater to. And so if all we have is a Sunday morning relationship, all we will be equipped for is the normative Monday, the normative mundane realities of life, you'll be equipped for it, but the minute something complicated comes, you will have no gas in the tank. That's where membership to a church becomes important. You don't hear me harp on these things in terms of we want to pad our numbers or things like that. Salem, we're doing really well. I don't need to preach to attendance. (laughs) Membership isn't important for things like finances and numbers. Membership is important Because Sunday morning lunch, if it goes well, doesn't mean the family's really healthy. If Monday through Saturday are terrible and nobody's at the table. You have to connect to a deacon. We have, and I know this, because I've been deaconed by them, and now I watch and stand impressed as they deacon. We have some of the best people deaconing in this church that anyone could ever ask for. We have four elders that combine are like a thousand years old. (laughs) Carry the two. The X goes to the... And Bill is 450 of those years. They love and are obsessed with this church. They are real. They push back. They support and critique in all upbuilding and encouraging ways. They don't ever let me forget who we were, who we are, and where we're going all of the time. I have sat in amazement, in silence, listening to my wife talk to some of you in a meeting and realized... I, I think I can just go on a vacation for a very long time and just chill. <laughs> this building is so equipped to handle those outliers. And for issues that go beyond the scope of pastoral care, Ron and Essie Green coach and lead one of the greatest ministries that our attorney has said, an assessment and referral ministry in your church. Every church should take notes from what you're doing.
It is so vital that we realize that Sunday is going to kick the door open on a few things. But then when, when stuff doesn't connect, when, when the message feels like it's not quite getting to your issue, that's where your social networks, your friends, your family, your deacons, your elders, your pastor, your pastor's wife, that's where we're all here to go into issues in the office for coffee in our homes that Sunday morning can't go to. So I am not, under any circumstances, ever even suggesting that somebody needs to get their face kicked in to be loved or to love. But I'm so grateful that somebody asked me about it because it made me able to have this conversation where I'm going to say general things here, but when specifics come up, that's where Monday through Saturday the church is still the church. And we need to be committed to it all the way through if we're going to be able to represent Jesus well. Can we put our hands together for our deacons and elders, please? So we have a very popular text. I'm going to do something scandalous, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. We all know the story of the prodigal son. The younger brother's a jerk, and he says to his dad, I wish you were dead. He said that by saying, when you die, I'm going to get a lot of money. Can we pretend you're dead now? And the father said, sure. Hands him a check. This kid leaves, and this is very important. The Bible says that he left and spent all of his inheritance on reckless living. It doesn't say what the reckless living was. Keep that in mind when we talk about his older brother. It doesn't say what the reckless living was. He realizes that he's now run out of money and he's hungry. So now he needs to find somebody that can feed him, and he finds somebody who's so generous that he's willing to feed him what the pigs eat. Sir, you shouldn't have. Thank you so much. And then eventually he realizes, I need to go home. And he comes home, and maybe one of the most epic, most beautiful, most describing of everything the Bible is ever talking about, front flap to back flap of the Bible, the father waiting outside every day for that kid to come home. And when he does, look at this. The son wants to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him before he could even finish. Don't you, don't you dare come to me saying that. You've always been worthy to be called my son. And he starts to give him rings and clothes and food and wine and a party None of these things belong to him anymore. They're all the older brother stuff. And there's the older brother working hard in the field outside, hearing the singing and saying, I'm not going in there. This is absolutely unfair. And the father comes out, and the story ends with the father and the older brother standing outside and the younger brother back home, restored, maybe even more restored than he was before he left. And Jesus walks away from the story. I want to talk about this because I want to talk about younger brother. I made up a word, again, to make my wife happy, who is an English major. She loves when I make up words and not use the words that are already available to me in the rich English language, but make up my own. So we're going to talk about younger brother churchness and older brother churchness.
Churchness is a word that I made up. I want to look at these two brothers as two wrong ways of being church. Because the story says that when Jesus told this parable, there were tax collectors and sinners present, and there were Pharisees present. So you have two groups of people, sinners and Pharisees. And Jesus tells a story of two brothers because neither the sinners nor the Pharisees are right. So Jesus tells a story of two brothers who are both wrong. And we have to read the story knowing that both of these brothers are wrong. Neither of them are right. This is a story about the father more than it's a story about anybody else. So how is the younger brother wrong? And how is the older brother wrong? And how does this relate to the way that we relate to church? Because like we said, like we had fun saying in the worship service, if we're not a celebratory people, guests won't come in and have the scary Doreen experience that I talked about before. They need to come in. And if you're here, I'm talking about you. I'm sorry, I love you. We're happy you're here. But we have to understand, this needs to be a place where people are surprised by joy. And it is the responsibility of the membership of the church, the leadership of the church, those of us who get it and who have skin in the game here, it is our responsibility to come here and realize, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to be a surprising, explosive reality of what Easter means for people who need that reality. That's what we are here for. So yes, we are here to get loud. We are here to celebrate. We're here to have, like we said last week, more noise than the NCAA tournament is having. And if you watch that Purdue game, which was one of the most amazing basketball games I've ever seen in my life, it was loud. It was loud because Purdue was the underdog. And when the underdog looks like they could win, people get really excited. This room is the underdog. We shouldn't have been here. We have to always be excited about that fact. It's the Giants beating the 18-0 Patriots every Sunday. No matter what happens from here on out, there is nothing they can say ever once. Don't try. I will talk over you and interrupt you and be rude. You can't. Easter's just a little bit better than that. Let's talk about the younger brother first. Younger brother churchness. What he did was he removed the process of time so that he could have autonomy now. I don't want to wait until my father's life runs out. I want the autonomy now. And this is a, he- a heading, a-, a thesis statement of one way of relating to the church. I want everything that the church could ever offer me now without having to stay connected to it, without having to need it anymore. I want the residual blessing of the church without needing the church anymore. And so the first way that younger brother church and this people do this is taking without serving. Please understand, this posture will ruin your joy, and ruin your celebration. If you're the kind of person, and we all are in different areas of life, who receive without serving, we will lose our ability to celebrate because celebration comes from God, amen? And God is the determiner of how celebration should work, yes? 
And God's whole life is defined by what he gives. So if we're receiving but we're not giving, we're nothing like the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we will not be celebratory. We will be overtly trying to be happy without having a shred of consistent celebration in our lives. And then we will start to need other stuff to help us be happy. Because if you're not serving, but you're receiving, you cannot be celebratory. Because celebration comes through giving. It's going to get worse. So (laughs) you start light. That's what they say. Here's a phrase, the next point, a phrase of somebody who treats the church like a younger brother. When they go there saying, I hope I get something out of this. I hope I get something out of that sermon today. I hope they play my favorite songs. I hope I feel the Holy Spirit. I hope I, I hope I, I hope I, I hope I. And when I wake up in the morning to read, I hope I get something out of it. You suggested that book, Pastor. I hope I can understand it. The whole thing is centered on, I hope I get something out of it. Jesus' whole life was spent saying, what can I give to it? You are all rejecting me, but if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to himself. That sounds like Jesus saying, if I'm lifted up, I'll get everybody. But what he's saying is when I'm lifted up, I'm giving everything I could possibly give. You coming home is on you. But I'm going to give everything that I could possibly give without knowing who's going to come home and who's not. He never says, I hope I can get something out of this. Are we saying that in our marriages? Are we saying that in our arguments? Are we saying that in our social networks? Are we saying that in our church? Do we love what just happened here on a Sunday, but we have absolutely no intention of signing up for a work day? But come Holy Spirit, let's get more hype on Sunday. Again, I'll rake by myself. That's not the point. Plus, we pay Ian to do that, so it doesn't even matter. I don't even have to. Well, we'll talk about the older brother in a second. But so excited to receive autopilot walking out of here and never going over to the information table. This is going to ruin our ability to be celebratory. I'll tell you this. Living the right way in the church doesn't guarantee that you'll always be celebratory, but I promise you living indulgently here will guarantee you will never be celebratory. Okay. I told you it's going to get worse. That's why we did all that fun stuff at the beginning. (laughs) Younger brother churchness is when I overrides we. There's something so amazing about what's going to happen here on Baptism Saturday. By the way, I think we're up to like 13 or 14 people getting baptized on Easter Eve. So amazing. We're running. We don't have enough robes. We're going to have to, like, we're going to have to give out Giants jerseys for people to be baptized in or something, like something very sacramental and holy. We're going to have to give that out. I'm going to get baptized. (laughs) I'll have an Eli Manning. No, not Eli Manning. Manning. Yes, Eli Manning, the ultimate underdog who's terrible and still has some hardware from his championships. There we go. When I overrides, we watch this. We have been reciting, and this is not just for fun. We've been reciting the Apostles' Creed during Lent because the Apostles' Creed, I believe, 
is how it starts, I believe. And the reason why we do that is because a person who has not yet been baptized, the night they get baptized, they will recite the Apostles' Creed and they will say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. But when they come up out of the waters of baptism, for the rest of the year, we recite the Nicene Creed, which is we believe. Because when they go down into the, before they go down into the water, they're not sacramentally part of the body of Christ yet. And so they have to say, I believe in God. But when they come up out of the waters, they can say, we believe. Because they're part of the family now. The younger brother can only recite the Apostles' Creed. He's the kind of person who's always running around talking about, I believe. And if the church doesn't connect to what I believe, then I'm leaving. We believe is the predominant reality of the church. Getting lost in the communal belief system of God's church is how we all need to be. We, our identities need to get lost from an I to a we. It has to. If we stay with I believe this and I think that and I want this and I want that and I want to have a good Sunday but I don't want to do this and I shouldn't have to and I, 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 I. If that's where it's coming from, we're not living into our baptism. We're not living into what it means to be part of Christ who Jesus is a trinity. God can only say, God is the only one who can say we in the first person. All right? Just got some points back for that one. Listen, this is not meant to discourage. This is all of us at some point. I promise you, this is all of us at some point. I think I came in and said to Stephanie today, I don't feel like doing this today. And I was like, wow. Do I even know what I'm preaching? <laughs> it happens to all of us. God is better than my ability to just be an I, yes? The we of the Trinity envelops my individuality and makes me more than I can be on my own. I'm more than I could ever be on my own when I'm with you in this room. But we have to be able to call it out on ourselves when it's happening. We have to. We have to be able to call it out. We have to be able to say, you know what? I hate to admit it. He's right. That's me right now. Holy Spirit, we got to work on this today. Then there's the older brother. Older brother churchness. He does everything right for principle's sake, but not out of romance. Listen, I'm an emotional guy. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. Oh, that was a loud laugh over there. The worship team can't live with them, can't have an awesome Sunday without them, am I right? <laughs> Don't pin on me that I'm calling you to be passionate because it's my personality. That's not fair. We have to be passionate because the Bible says of Jesus, zeal for his house consumed him. We have to be passionate because God is passionate. Of course that's going to play out differently in our personalities. Don't go outlier on me. Let's stay normative. It is in all of our personalities to be passionate. God did not create one person to not be passionate, to not be romantic, 
to not find beauty in everything it can see or always at least be searching to find beauty in everything that it sees. It's in all of us to do that. And if it's not, we have walked away from ourselves. Does everybody remember the story where Peter is, a servant girl says to Peter, have you been with Jesus? And Peter says, I do not know the man. Famous, famous denial. I do not know the man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Peter should have said, I do not know the man. But he should have been talking about himself and not Jesus. I don't know me. I don't know me. If we have lost our passion, if we're doing everything because it's the right thing to do and that's the only thing holding it together, we have to say, I do not know the man of ourself. We have lost who we are if there's not beauty and passion and romance behind what we're doing. Older brother churchness is when we start to feel enslaved to the musts. Enslaved to the musts. Now let me say something. There's something extremely mature, extremely mature, about somebody who doesn't want to do something and does it because it's the right thing to do. How many would love your kids to at least get to that point? (laughs) At least do it because it's the right thing to do. I'm only going to clean my room because it's the right thing to do. Thank God, right? (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus. We have breakthrough in the house. But if that's the only reason why we're doing stuff, that's not human. Amen? Do you know, uh, I won't even get it. I was just going to say something so cool about infants that I read when I was away on the airplane, but I don't want to. I'm going to save it for a better time. It's it's a carnival up here right now. my, My brain is exactly like a carnival. It's annoying, terrifying, hot, and a lot of people waiting online to figure out what's going to happen. It is not funny at all. It's the DMV or a carnival in my head right now. How come every time I make fun of myself, everybody loves the sermon? Every time I say something absolutely profound and amazing, it's silent. Can't get out of this one, huh? We're in a revolving door together right now. Enslaved to the musts. C.S. Lewis said this, we say wedding vows on the day we get married. John and Steph, you listening? We say wedding vows on the day we get married because we're not always going to be in love. You cannot be saying preach already. Who said preach? Was it you? Oh, it was you. I thought it was Steph. I'm like, if Steph is saying preach already, we have problems. <laughs> I really thought that was Steph. Oh, my gosh. This is bad. She's like, preach. Can't stand him. You're not even. Oh, my Lord. I'm not used to you all responding to me. So, I'm, you know, not on your phones today or something. There are moments where we won't be feeling it, and we have to remember that we said for better or for worse. And vows exist because of the times where we won't be in love, and being in love goes from an emotion to a choice. And you remember your vows, 
and you say, I said for better or for worse. Now remember, I'm speaking normative. I'm speaking normative. That's all I'm going to say now, but I'm speaking normative. However, if every day you wake up in your marriage, you have to say for better or for worse, please come see me and Jacqueline. We need to talk to you. Something has gone wrong if every day you have to recite your vows to be happy about the person you just woke up next to. <laughs> this church is so real, it's a problem. Like, I went to another church last week, and honestly, guys, I love you all so much. You have no idea how much I love you, like... I'm hopefully in love with this place. Oh, my God. So much fun. If we're always doing stuff, if we are going to the information center and signing up for things because it's obligatory, there's no joy in it. It's stale. It's broken. It's like not changing the oil in the car. This is bad. It's going to break down. Second, we're older brother in our relation to the body of Christ when joy has been replaced by record-keeping. I said it before. All Jesus says is that the younger brother squandered his inheritance in reckless living. But in the story that, keep in mind, Jesus is telling. This story didn't actually happen. Jesus is telling a story. This story is coming from the heart of God. And in the story, the older brother says, your son, not my brother, your son squandered his inheritance with prostitutes. Well, that information wasn't given when Jesus told what happened to the younger brother. He just said reckless living. Would it be reckless to squander one's inheritance with prostitutes? Yes. Would it also be reckless if I was sitting down at the food court in the mall and I said, I'm going to go up and get a fifth slice of pizza? And, I, and when I went to get up, Jacqueline said, you left your wallet on the table. And I said, it doesn't matter. Nobody will take it. And I get up and I come back and my wallet's gone. She could say, you're so reckless. So there's a lot of words or a lot of actions that can happen under the, the idea of reckless living. Older brothers... There's only two ways that he could have known this. Either he's making it up because he's mad, and he's assuming, and he's judging, and he's talking of things that he doesn't really know, or he went and spied on him, saw, and didn't help. Well, pastor, maybe God told him. Well, then he should have went to help because God doesn't give you personal information about other people to gossip about it. He gives it to you to go help. When joy is replaced by, I go to every single event that this church has, and this person doesn't, or these people don't, or do we really have to, and we list what we've done, and how we've done it, and how long we've done it for. When we're record-keeping, we're not celebrating. When we're living in an overt sense of weights and balances and how many jelly beans you've put on, and how many jelly beans other people aren't putting on, all of that doesn't matter. There's no celebrating when we're living that way. There's no celebrating when all we're doing is murmuring and critiquing every last thing the church does or doesn't do. That's not how we celebrate each other. 
well, pastor, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to help you. Fine, here's what I want you to do, sir. I want you to go home, and I want you to talk about your wife the way you've been talking about the church, and she, see if she finds it helpful. Go ahead, critique how much she does versus how much you do. Have fun. Do it. Videotape it. Please. For real, go tell her how much you've done and how little she does. Or go tell her that she's doing the right things, but she could be doing it a little differently. Go ahead, tell her that. That'll be fun. I've become good friends with Sergeant Frost from the beginning. I'll have him at your house because this is not going to work out well for you at all. When how much we've done is the first thing we think of when there's something else to do. There's no celebration in that. When we would like it to be done a slightly different way. There's no celebration in that. Celebration transcends opinion. Celebration makes people crazy. Celebration is a high that causes a lot of our inhibitions to just go away because we're excited God is still in the room. I don't care how we come to the Lord's table or how many times or what creed we use or if we get louder, if we should be sung. If Jesus is here, just deal with all the other stuff. God is in the room. And this is what the father says to the older brother. You're upset because I've accepted him back. You've had me the whole time. Yes, but no. No, not on that one. The parable of uh, the laborers in the vineyard. We were in the field all day, and they were in the field for an hour. How dare you pay us the same? Because this is a parable, and the field represents the kingdom of God. Those who get to be in it longer, it's worth more than pay anyway. I'm going to be so mad if I've lived my whole life as a Christian, denying myself every day, which isn't true, and then somebody on their deathbed at the last minute, just before the clock hits zero, they say the sinner's prayer and they get saved. Got me started on that? They're going to get to go to heaven just like me? That whole line of thinking is such trash because you've got, you were able to know Jesus your whole life. That's better than anything anyway. He says, you, everything I have is yours. You've been with me the whole time. Why isn't that enough? Rhetorical question. And then finally, the story ends with the older brother outside. He was in the church, but he was not of it. He did what had to be done. But at the heart of it, the church for him for this kind of person is a punch-in, punch-out situation. Sunday, I'm punched in. Sunday, I leave, punched out. Workday, punch in. Workday's over, punch out. 318 men's meeting, punch in. Men's meeting's over, punch out. And then on your way home, you say, now let's leave work at work. I'm home now. That works with our employment. That should never be with the church. <laughs> I cannot say... Jacqueline, let's leave work at work. It's our life. And we're getting to do this because it was our life before we were given this position, and it's going to be our life long after this position goes away. That was also rhetorical. <laughs> For those of you who are upset by that, I thank you. I'm not going anywhere. For those of you who are excited by it, 
too soon to make those jokes. I get it. So what's the redemption? Here's what I love. People will tell you, you know, the younger brother got accepted home, but he had to get up first. The father didn't go out and get him, so he needed to do something to activate what God was doing. No. No. The, the father in the story made it all the way to the pig pen. And you're sitting here saying, Pastor, I read the story. The father ran to meet him on the road. The father didn't go to the pig pen. Yes, he did. You know how I know that? Because at one point, the brother in the pig pen says, I have to go to my father. The character of the father was in the pig pen. Because if it wasn't, he would have said, I wonder if I can go home to my father. He knew he could go home to his dad. The father was at the pigsty before the younger brother ever got there. And in the worst decisions, the character of the father was already there. It's what enabled him to say, have, even have the idea that I could go home to my father. It was met with the affirmation of the father's character. The father running in the story is the affirmation of what Jesus is already saying was true of the father. That's the kind of church we should be. We should be the kind of church that is so right and so excited about this place that people who don't go here can say in their mess, I can go there. I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to that place. If people have to question all the way to the door, there's a problem with how we're living as church. We should go to where the younger brothers are, not to, indul not to indulge, but to bring home. So we don't sit here and play church and have our church morality and our church, church ethics and just wait for people to show up. And once they get converted, then we can love them. We should be venturing out to the pigsties and our character should be going farther than our physicality can. Our integrity, our reputation should be spoken of far beyond where our church will ever reach. People should know they can come here. They can arise having done everything wrong. And here's the thing. The father didn't say, rejoice because your brother, he was lost and now he has good moral character. All the father said is rejoice because he's here. And the brother saying he's still the joker that left. And the father saying, I don't care, he's home. That's what gets God excited, that we're home. Behaving will happen when we're home the right way. But that's not, what get God, that's not what gets him excited. What gets him excited is that we even give him a chance to work on us. Are we that kind of church that we would get excited that there's even a chance that the church might work on somebody's life? I love, I love the, out of the mouth of babes. The older brother is redeemed because the father in all of his pharisaical attitude of this older brother the father is still saying to him all that I have is yours he's not saying if you get your attitude right all that I have can be yours he's saying you have the worst attitude you're like Cain you're like Esau you're like Joseph's brothers. You're not excited about your younger brother coming home because you're still assessing his attitude and his behavior. But still, all that I have is yours. In your bad attitude, all that I have is yours. 
in the fact that you can't stand your brother. All that I have is yours. That's what he's saying. So if you're here and church has just gotten stale and you're judgmental and you can't get excited and it's just obligatory and you're that person who's like going to clean the room but stomping the whole way there, like if that's where you're at, understand the Father is still leaning into you saying, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And that should dissolve the attitude. The love of God should dissolve the hardness. The love of God should dissolve the cow. We should say, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I celebrate this place. Because this is the place where people who were blind can now see. This is the place where people who were lost are now found. This is the container that holds everyone who's been delivered from Egypt. Jesus is the true and better younger brother, born after Adam, and in other ways, born before him. But as the true and better younger brother, Jesus descends out of his father's house into the pigsty as an infant, grows up in the pig pen, and doesn't just transform those who are in it. He transforms the pig pen itself. Creation is waiting with anticipation for the revelation of the sons of God. Creation itself, the pig pen itself, is going to get redeemed. We're going to realize one day that people who didn't come home, God made their wrong location home. The whole world is becoming Eden. The whole world is becoming the temple. The knowledge and glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The waters are the sea. And the glory of the Lord will be the earth. Home is going to be wherever God sends it. And Jesus is the true and better older brother who followed all the rules, who did all the right things, who has moral integrity, who has ethical integrity. Salem, do we realize we do need this? We're in a room that was built by men and women who gave up paychecks and vacations to build this room that we just get to walk into for free. We're standing in the reality of what it looks like when people are passionate about Jesus and his building and his church. I will never be able to convey what I just said, how it feels in my heart, what I just said out loud. We are in a space that exists because people were passionate about the Lord. So yes, does it sound like we're getting a little bit more loose when I say things like, bring them all in, let them be here, the table's open? Of course, but for those who can hear it, I am not saying we don't have moral integrity. We got to stand on that. I'm not saying that we should be unethical. I'm saying that we should be like, like Jesus. We should try to do our best to be so right, so on point, so committed, so faithful, so loyal that the giving of our life has value. Jesus did all of those right things so that he could say, God, this life that has been so right is now worth something. And now I give it for everybody who wasn't living it. And it was worth something. We live well. We live according to Christian values. We live Christian lifestyles. Not to stand there and say, look at how good we are, but to say, now my life is worth something when I offer it to somebody. There's meaning behind it now. Relativism, doing whatever we want and just trusting the grace of God, that, you could clap all day about that, but the lives that you're living in that world mean nothing. 
when everything's okay, good things have no value. Want to know why we say it's a nice day out? Because there's days that aren't nice. Nice days have value because they're dichotomized by days that aren't nice. If we live however we want, and we think that the pastor saying we need to love people who are living broken lives means that we're supposed to live them, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're supposed to do our best to live the best lives we possibly can on the scriptures, on the person of Jesus. And in doing so, we become the kinds of people who want to give that good life that we're living like Jesus did. We're not Peter cutting people's ears off with the Bible. We're people who know that the Bible is putting our ears back on. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.